The Yates sisters, Elizabeth and Susan, were important figures in the Irish cultural revival. Somewhat forgotten compared to their more famous siblings, the poet W.B. Yeats and the painter Jack Yeats, now a light is being shone on their lives and their prodigious contribution. There's an inaugural symposium happening in Dundrum on the 15th of July, part of a project to revive and expand public knowledge and understanding of the Yeats sisters. Elizabeth was an art teacher, an author and a publisher. Susan, known as Lily, was a skilled embroiderer. For decades, They worked on their own enterprise, Kula Industries, producing books, broadsheets, greeting cards, calendars and hand-coloured prints, many exclusively featuring original work from women artists and poets. I'm joined on the line from Donegal by art historian Dr Angela Griffith, former director of the Irish Art Research Centre at Trinity College in Dublin. I'm also joined from Sligo by Eunan McKinney, who has been leading the Yates Sisters Commemoration Project, which highlights the sisters' pioneering work. You're both very welcome to The History Show. Thank you, Miles. Thank you very much, Miles. Angela, can I start with you? Both of the sisters, Elizabeth and Susan, attended the Dublin Metropolitan School of Art and then the family moved to London for a time at the end of the, the 19th century. But I think their real body of work was created when they came back to Dublin, wasn't it? That's right. Though Both women had very successful careers when they were in London and and. We see at the end of the 19th century, they're starting to train in the arts. It seems to be it's acceptable for women of a certain class to go to art college and to train. And what we see with the sister Lily is that she goes and she works with, of course, the great leader in the arts and crafts movement in Britain, um, William Morris and his company. And he's she's working with his daughter May in the needlecraft area. And also what we see is that Elizabeth, and you mentioned earlier, she was an art teacher. She was trained in Froebel. She was also somebody um, who published her own books and so forth. But she trained with the Women's Society of Printing um, in London and London provided them the foundation. It also provided them the space where they could see what was possible for women in that area. And William Morris had supported women in printing, for example. His printers were the first to be part of union, the printing union. And then they brought these skills with them to Dublin um, and they did so in partnership with Evan Gleeson, another terribly important woman who herself trained as a weaver and who knew the family through the um, Irish Literary Society and who was also a suffragette herself, though the, the Yates sisters didn't describe themselves as that, but she was. And when they came back to Dublin, then they had the opportunity to set up the Dunemer Craft Cooperative, Dunemer Industries, and they set that up in Dundrum, which, of course, there they worked for the next following decades. And Elizabeth was a printer right up to her death in 1940. And Eunan, Angela mentioned Dundrum and that sense of place is important as far as you're concerned to how they should be remembered. Yeah, because I think what's happened over that period of time is that largely whilst they were prestigious in the 1910, 1920s period, I mean, their memory has largely been forgotten in Dundrum. I mean, there is a beautiful embroidered piece in the beautiful small church, St. May's Church in Churchtown. And apart from having the opportunity to see that occasionally, people would, would not know that the eight sisters largely occupied that area and that neighborhood and did all that work at that time in there. And so what we're trying to do is to bring that memory back into Churchtown, into Dundrum, and to try and ensure that the community there have an opportunity to recognize these two 
extraordinary women in my view. Angela, you mentioned William Morris, um, who was a leader of the arts and crafts movement in Britain. What was their association with him? Did they work for him or did they work with him? How did they involve oh. them? Well, they, they worked with them. Lily actually worked with the Count Scott Industries in the Needlecraft section, which is a, which was directed by um, William Morris's daughter, May. But also very importantly, William Morris had a private press, which was known as Count Scott Press. And there, um, Elizabeth actually had the opportunity to see the workings of the press because William Morris was a friend of the Yates family. Their brother, William Butler Yates, was a great admirer of William Morris uh, and the father. So they were part of the circle at that time um, and they were very aware and, and they liked this idea of creating art forms that could reach the masses. Now, we know ourselves, what does that mean? These were bespoke objects were, which were for very much for a middle-class, upper-class audience. But the idea that one of the things that appealed certainly to William and certainly to the rest of the family that William Morris advocated was this idea of uniting the arts so that design and craft and art came together in different forms, be it in needlecraft, be it in publishing, be it in printing. And the sisters embraced this. And certainly this was something that was supported within the family as well. Unan, one gets the sense that they were perhaps uh, slightly patronised by their by their famous brothers, uh, by a Nobel laureate and also a uh, an, an Olympic gold medal winner, Jack B. Yates, in 1924 at the, the Paris Olympics, of all things. Is that the case or was there a collaboration between the four of them? I think it's fair to say there was a collaboration, but I, I think it's equally fair to say that there was definitely tensions within the family. And I think that, you know, when you look at the letters and correspondence that's, that's available in the archives, that you will see that I think William Butler Yates in particular, you know, may not have had the most supportive role of, of Elizabeth in terms of just appreciating just her enterprise and her resilience in keeping this enterprise going and keeping the work being produced and the quality of the work. I, th- I think he was I think he was comfortable with the quality of the work, but he certainly didn't really have, full, I think, full respect of her autonomy in relation to that. So I think that it's, um, it was stressful, I think, by times amongst them all. But I mean, collectively, obviously, there's a huge amount of work that they did produce together, you know. Angela, we're talking about a period here which would be decades before the possibility of, say, www.coolerpress.ie. <laughs> but um, the cooler, the output of Cooler Press was hugely popular with the diaspora, wasn't it? It was. Um, they, they had a market at home, definitely, especially among the middle classes of Dublin um, and, and also. But certainly the diaspora was a very important market for them. What we're very fortunate to have in the Kula, we have the Kula Press Business Archive in Trinity College, which was donated by the family. And those letters are available, as are the customer books. And we can see that these prints, the printed text, which included literary figures, really important Irish contemporary writers. And that's important to say that Kula, under the editorship of William Butler Yeats, but it published contemporary writers, whereas normally private presses tended to repeat the classics as such where they produced contemporary writing. But they also, very importantly, and this was under the directorship of Elizabeth, they produced hundreds of visual material which represented images of Ireland. Now, the images that they produced of Ireland tended to be the idea of the metaphor of the West of Ireland being the the ideal Ireland. It's a rural um, idyll that they're producing. But showing working people, working the peasant classes, working in the west of Ireland, this is the type of images that were very popular, images of cottages and so forth. And they found their customer base wide and far. 
And not only that, they were exhibited, which is important as well, in national and international exhibitions and often international exhibitions, of course, that were sponsored by the state, which included the great um, exhibition that was held with the Paris Congress in 1922 and also the World Fair, for example, in Chicago in the 1930s. So they were representative of what was coming out of Ireland at the time. And I also think those that didn't necessarily have an Irish background, but were interested in Irish literature and the Irish revival and the Anglo-Irish writing at that time, were also buying them. And the quality of them was exceptional. So for those that were collectors, not just of Irish themes, but also of high quality materials, they were also very interested in them. I mean, one of the things to remember that Elizabeth described what she did as art printing. She described them as this because they were hand printed on handmade paper and they were hand coloured, which was an incredibly um, laborious task, but created these very beautiful images which people could frame or keep in also in folders. And as we know, they went wide and far. Uh, Eunan, those images that uh, Angela's been talking about, are they a bit sort of John Hind postcard or romanticised view of Ireland? Or did they have an important function in that they were perhaps combating adverse images of Ireland? Yeah, I think you have to put it in the context perhaps of, you know, how Ireland was viewed before that. And I think... You know, we we'd all go back to those sort of the London Illustrated News or the the Punch caricatures of, of Ireland that would have been circulated in an international context and came to have an Irish identity about them. So I think that what I'm just talking about that wide subscription of these prints and and books and pamphlets and broadsides that would have went across the world with this fresh, you know, colourful, dynamic uh, illustration of many things that were now Ireland, the new Ireland as it was. I think it has had a very significant role and one of Angela's colleagues has done a lot of work, I think, on this in relation to just what was the role of Kula maybe in forming that national identity at a very early age of the state. So I think, yes, I think they've been undersold a little bit in the context of what role they had in in shaping an identity for Ireland at the time. Angela, um, a couple of possible myths about the sisters, about Elizabeth and uh, Susan. Uh, Susan was known as Lily because, uh, to avoid confusion with her mother. Um, That's right. Also, also known as, as, as Susan. But um, the two women were, tend to be kind of lumped together as Lily and Lolly on the one hand. The other piece of received wisdom or perhaps mythology is that the two of them did not get on. Could you address those two issues? Well, I think Yunan mentioned it earlier, and I think um, I, I think if any of us, if any of us and our siblings were subject to the same sort of scrutiny <laughs> or got to our private correspondence, I don't know how we'd stand up to it. I think there's no doubt there was there was tensions in the sense that there was two women; they weren't married; they were forced, sort of forced economically, to live together. But they were also business partners. They were also business colleagues. They were also, um, you know, gifted craftswomen and also professional in that respect. So they, they did work together and they sustained the business when very often others fell by the wayside. I mean, you know, Union referred to earlier about, about Elizabeth's achievements in the sense that she sustained a press when every other male-run private press in London fell by the wayside. So there was that. The two sisters were together and there's no doubt that there's tensions about that. But there was a respect for them both. 
And I mean, Lily writes about her her sister after she died in 1940 and acknowledged what she had achieved, acknowledged as, fair, as well the contribution of both brothers to the to her press, but acknowledged what she had achieved as a professional. I think there's also the story, isn't there, that Lily was trying to get her married off to Sarah Purser's brother so that they wouldn't have to live together any longer. <laughs> but at the same time, as I said, if you look at what they achieved and what they did together, I think that's fair. I think also the name those of us that like to write don't like the rhythm of Lily and Lolly. It just reads very well. But it was a pet name that was used, that was used within the family. But when Elizabeth, every time Elizabeth signs anything or looks to anything, uh, you can see that she describes herself as Elizabeth Yates, E.C. Yates. That's the way she distinguishes herself publicly. And just to remember, we don't go around calling W.B. Yates Willie which is what the family called him, you know. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Eunan, they, they weren't uh, suffragists or suffragettes, as they would have been called back in the day. Uh, they weren't necessarily radical feminists, as we understand that term today, but they were pioneering feminists in the sense that I think with, with Kula Press, am I right in saying that all the employees were female and also a lot of the artists that they, they worked with were women? Yeah, no, it was absolutely a feminist collective is almost what it was. Mm. And Certainly when in that opening period of Dunemer, when they were with Evelyn Gleeson, I mean, there was up to 35, 40 women working in, in the enterprise at that point, been trained at various levels, uh, whether it be in the weaving or the carpet making and, and, and the print making and embroidery. And so when they then broke and went to Kula down into Churchtown Cottage, which still stands today, there would have been, you know, 14 or 15 young women working in it at that time, been trained at various stages. And indeed, you know, some of the stories of those people are equally going to be told in this project, I think, as well, because, you know, we have people like Molly Gill and Esther Ryan. I mean, Molly Gill went on to become a president of the Cologie Association, you know, was a significant member of Coming to Mon. You know, these are in themselves quite unique women as well. So there's a story to be told about the remarkable achievement of all of these women what they have subsequently achieved in their lives. Angela, um, we've talked about the the possibility of um, condescension in relation to Jack and, and Willie, if I'm allowed to call WB Yates Willie. Um, <laughs> but they, when it comes to condescension, uh, nobody was worse, I suppose, than James Joyce in Ulysses. Oh. What did he refer to them as? Weird sisters, exactly, those weird sisters. But I think, as Lewis Gifford said, I think, um, who has written a very good book on the sisters, she, or sorry, Gifford Lewis, I should say. She said it was probably as much a dig at William Butler Yeats as it was at the sisters because Joyce was among the few contemporary artists that actually our writers hadn't been published by Kula at that point. But I mean, it was, yeah, maybe the last said about that, the better. It tends to be, tends to be quoted and it's one of those things. So maybe in one sense, we talk about them being forgotten, but of course, Joyce, by doing his little bit, has actually made sure that people figure out who were these weird mm. sisters and maybe find out a little bit more about them. And Angela, in, in, in Trinity, you are digitising some yes. of the, or all of the Kula material. What, what are you digitising precisely? Okay, as I said, we already have the Kula Press archive um, as part of the collections. But as you know, and I'm sure you're aware, Miles, um, and others would be aware, is that Trinity is involved what's called the Trinity Virtual Library. And basically, we're, we're making different collections, different aspects of our wonderful collections, our library collections available to online. And the Kula Press came about, um, project came about because we were given a gift by Vin Ryan, who is of the Schooner Foundation, gave a gift of collection of prints to the college 
But more importantly, he also supported then making these accessible to a wider audience. So as I say, part of Trinity Virtual Library, the images that we have in our collection, including the Vin Ryan collection, have been scanned and are now and are digitized and are available to be seen on the Trinity Digital Collections. If you go into Trinity Digital Collections, you'll see it there in front of you. Um, the other thing that we're doing as well is that we're taking select aspects of the business archive and we're making those available. So at the moment, one of the wo- most wonderful pre- treasures that we have is Elizabeth Yates' own personal photographic um, album. And the photograph album is there, which shows the workers and shows the different uh, groups that were at both Dunemer and Kula over the years. And that is also available, including, of course, Elizabeth's handwritten notes, which explains what's going on in each of them. And it's an incredible resource for researchers. And it gives us a wonderful insight into the lives of the women. And that part of that as well, that funding we got from the Skinner Foundation as well has allowed us to in conduct research myself and the postdoctoral fellow, which is Dr. Billy Shortall. Um, and we're working together to bring more and more information and much more access to what's available to, to the collections and make people more aware. Finally, Yunan, tell us about the Yates Sisters Commemoration Project in July. What do you hope to achieve with that? Well, we've organised a symposium, which will be held on the 15th of July, which coordinates with the 120th anniversary of the first book that was printed in Dunemer in the Seven Woods. That's a, a, essentially a series of talks in the morning uh, by leading scholars like, like Angela as one, Peter Matthews and others. And then in the afternoon, there will be a workshop in embroidery, which will be held by the Irish Guild of Embroideries to give people a sense of the Stitch in Time, so to speak, and um, a walking tour around the church town landmarks will be held as well. So we hope that that day in itself will become a, an annual event. And then on the following day on the Sunday, we have a workshop with the National Print Museum, who very kindly are working with us and supporting us in relation to having a workshop uh, for people to experience letterpress and smell of ink, as they say, you know, <laughs> in, in work. So I think that the, you know, the bit, what we're hoping to achieve out of that is that in the first instance that the memory can be rekindled back into the Churchtown Dundrum community and, and then hopefully hopefully go on from there to maybe have a more permanent legacy project for the area, you know, a permanent recognition of the sisters and so that when people are in the area that they will be able to be aware that this wonderful pair of, of women lived and works in mm. this area. Well, that symposium takes place at Taney Parish Centre in Dundrum on Saturday the 15th of July. You can find some of the Cooler Press material online in Trinity's digital collections, as Angela said, and we'll put a link on our own website. My guests are Angela Griffith and Eunan McKinney. Thank you both very much for joining us this evening.